0: Hey, welcome to the 143rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Michelle Love Santoro, Brian, Donald Evans, and Andres
1: Biliald. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Emma. Today we're catching up and also answering a ton of listener questions. It's been a while, so we've got all sorts of interesting insight about moving to los angeles what value your youtube career brings to your professional filmmaking career what neighborhoods are cool and also kind of backing into having experience yeah what what sort of experience is worthwhile in addition to directing experience maybe that's it we'll find out we haven't figured it out yet yeah but Um,
0: before we get into it i'd love to wish you happy holidays matt Oh, likewise, Oren. Uh, this year, the uh, Jewish holidays and the Christian holidays span the entire month of December. Sure, that's true. So uh, it's a more evergreen topic than usual. Yeah, that's nice, right? <laughs> well, I did actually want to talk to you about the holidays for a second uh, because part of what we do in December here is like we go to a lot of production companies' holiday parties, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What is your policy on like giving gifts to people? Mm, yeah that's
1: interesting so my wife who started when she was pretty young acting um is like very good about like giving good holiday gifts so like she's really good about agent manager lawyer and so we have like a spreadsheet of the people that we have to give gifts for um it's tricky because that you you want to give a gift that the entire office can participate in i i'm being on like a basket of cookies is a favorite of mine because like it's for everyone, but like the execs are getting a ton of presents anyway, and it's really like the office coordinator is stoked on those cookies. So you wanna like make sure that it's something that's shareable, but also you don't want to get lost in the in the bottles of wine. Bottles of wine. Yeah, exactly. Bottles of wine or like a nice whiskey. If you get a nice whiskey for your agent, they you might as well have not gotten anything. You literally, you could be like, hey, man, do you love my whiskey? And they'd be like, oh, thank you so much. How'd you know my brand? Right. But they got like 50 of them. Because they got 50 of them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's weird. The other day, so my wife is an actress too. I think for actors, it's like almost an excuse to go into the office to remind them like, hey, not almost. It literally is. Yeah. Right? For sure. And Kara's really, really conscious of not giving the same gift that everyone else gives. So like one year, she made her own baskets with like avocados from our tree and like some Ooh, random. Ooh, that's good. Things that she she had just baked these like m- really good them. muffins or something getting good
1: avocados this time of year is hard.
0: Yeah, it was it was a one time thing because we have not had good avocados since that
1: year. Yeah, but, I was gonna <laughs> say if you if you were holding out avocados on me, uh, I would even be get me mad started. That would be really mad. Yeah.
0: Well, Kara's new idea, which I thought was interesting, is like figuring out who's in the office and then going and buying like cold pressed juice for all of them for uh-huh. like right now. Yeah. You it's, know, it's, not like. Put this in your pile of gifts.
1: It's like, hey, I'm bringing you a juice right now. Yeah, yeah. So you, um, we did do that. We did pressed. This is a very LA thing, but like you, (laughs) especially like when people are trying to stay healthy, they're like inundated with sweets. Like showing up with something that is a luxury item. These juices are. They're like twelve dollars or something. Well, you no, 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 they're not. But they're like seven. (laughs) I don't know. Moon juice. It's a real like cash suck for sure so like showing up with a bunch of fancy juices for people is a really thing like a thing that people respond to and it's a guilt-free drink well yeah i mean they think there's a ton (laughs) of sugar in that stuff yeah you're not drinking a soda but you know um but the point is is that like people have a lot of positive associations with it it's a very generous gift um but it's not totally breaking the bank press doesn't do like a um any sort of delivery service or a gift basket so you kind of have to like go in and hand pick it and then we'll do like a postmates or an uber eats or something over to the office oh or bring it in or bring it in there you go so what's funny is i said i was
0: talking to my wife about my lawyer who is awesome but i have not really done much with him this year Mm -hmm. because you know I just either went through my manager or myself or whatever I was like, well, we haven't really done anything this year. Do we, should I get him a gift? And Carol's like, that, like, those two things literally have nothing to do with each other. Right. And I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Especially <laughs> because you really like him. Well, and that's the point. It's like, hey,
1: remember, like, I appreciate you.
0: Like, that's the right. whole point. Even though we didn't make money for each other this year. Right,
1: right. But that's okay.
0: Anyway, reps. You don't need them, guys. Boy, Larry. They're just gift
1: a gift <laughs> suck. Larry gave me a uh, boutique chocolate bar and coffee bean like whole coffee bean kit of like it was like 12 it was like you know 12 different coffee and chocolate pairings and that like that's the best sounds pretty good that's like a grand slam for me yeah so it's like very hard to think of something that would be anywhere near as thoughtful and good
0: i just buy the new iphone x max for everyone (laughs) because, <laughs> you know, no one bought that one. Everyone bought yeah. the iPhone ten, and then yeah, when a yeah. the new one came out, no one bought it. No so one I'm has... just buying one of those for each person I know. There
1: you go. Cool. Life is good. Uh, or... Hey, who wants to rep me? Yeah.
0: Um, okay, well, we'll
1: stop boring the non-Hollywood people. Well, but I think that it, the point is is that um, making sure that you are staying top of mind with people and showing them that you appreciate them um, kind of stretches into the business as well. And I think it is important to think about all of the people that help you directing is a collaborative medium and so showing people that you appreciate them whether that's a cold pressed juice or just like a text message you know i think is important to think about
0: right and now that i think it's a, good about call, it, a lot of our listeners even the ones not based in la have their own production companies and have clients and, mm-hmm. agents. Yeah. and you know you go to sawhorse like our friend's company during the holidays and they have like a whole room with like 50 boxes Mm -hmm. that they're sending in at the famous group, like all these companies, they're sending the clients all this stuff. And so I'm sure our listeners know about this. It's that's more of a business thing than like a film thing.
1: Well, but it's also, yeah.
0: Yeah. That's a, any business person does that. But let me ask you this. Do you think if you don't send something to someone, it looks bad or do you think you... Are sending a gift to someone, because you have a good excuse to be in contact with them and show mm. them how much they, you appreciate them. But like next year when they're picking between directors, uh, they're not going to choose no, you because no,
1: you sent them a gift. Certainly not. There's not like, oh boy, I, I <laughs> don't know, forgot that I'm lactose intolerant, but he sent milk and cookies. Yeah, no, I, it's not. Um, right. Yeah, I think it's more just like good vibes, basically. Yeah, I think that there is value to being thought of nicely basically like oh you know sugar and fat makes people happy well happy holidays people well on that note if you want to show your appreciation to two podcast hosts two editors and a producer why not think about our patreon oh yeah the like whole that? reason we've been talking about holidays because i
0: want you guys to get stuff. <laughs> no no you what? we,
1: we uh, we've had an influx of patrons uh, recently i think probably because of the, the live show, show which is really great because I think that it brings people together and um, creates opportunities for people. I I talked to someone, Christopher Wile, who uh, booked a previous guest, uh, got her a job because of the podcast. Look at that. That's pretty great. And
0: I found an interesting cross-section of people listen to our podcast. Obviously, we primarily talk about directing and writing and creating things and shooting things, but... Uh, We've had a lot of actors come Mm -hmm. to our live shows. Sure. And quite a few DPs I've noticed as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because there isn't
1: another obvious place to meet a bunch of directors. Sure. Yeah, that's true. So um, the Patreon directly influences how often we get to do these events, um, how well supported they are, and like has really affected the way that Vern and I make a lot of decisions about um, producing the podcast so if you have a little bit of extra money you know a buck a month two bucks a month there's a, a lot of options out there people are being very generous so we really appreciate it and it is making the show better so um, help us put on more shows help us support uh, our editors chris and jay and uh keep Orrin and i from spending thousands of dollars a year on this thing
0: <laughs> and also one last thing and this is something we were starting in 2019 and are very committed to is we're gonna start adding some new perks uh yes. in terms of like how how we interact with the patrons because we really appreciate them uh but obviously don't want to take away anything from the main show so right. yeah. we have some new things in the works too so check it out
1: if you want Regardless, yeah, the show's always going to be free. If you've got a little extra money and you want to show your support to us and help us make the show better, thanks. Okay, so now I finally get to ask you, mm. Matt,
0: what have you been working on lately?
1: Um, yeah, so I am prepping two things. Well, officially prepping one thing. Fingers crossed on the other thing. We'll find out in a couple of days. That I think I'll talk about more about after um, after that. But it's nice to be busy in January. That's not a thing that I normally plan on. Um, and has me feeling really optimistic, but I also, I don't think I told you this. I submitted, um, my short film, a gray one to a film festival today. I did not know that. Did you hear that without a box went out of business? I did hear that. RIP. Yeah. Without a box for listeners who haven't gone through the festival process yet was one of two major film, submission sites so you would go to without a box or film freeway which is still around upload your film and then like you could submit it to a ton of different film festivals it it was the exclusive submission way to submit to sundance oh is that right i didn't realize that yeah yeah um i know south by and a few other festivals aren't on film freeway but for the most part most Major film festivals are on it. Right. And you know, Amazon owns Without a Box. Correct, yes. Because I'm assuming because IMDb owned Without a Box. Yeah, I think Amazon was kind of something like that. But I think yeah. they kind of got out of the game. And I think also um, Film for UA was getting very competitive. And it wasn't really, I'm sure there's a ton of news articles and think pieces about it. The point is, Film for UA is great. And uh, I'm kind of just starting that whole process. Yeah. I when I read about Without a Box going out of business
0: and all these people leaving comments on deadline about how it's because Film Freeway was like just way, way better. I was I felt like I'm so detached from the indie film festival mm-hmm. circuit because I would never even heard of Film Freeway. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so now for two thousand nineteen I will use film freeway for something. Yeah, buddy.
1: <laughs> Maybe um, I'll start my own festival.
0: <laughs> the just shoot it festival.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Hey. <laughs> I mean, that would Train be fine. Maybe we should do... Well, um, that could be interesting. I wonder yeah. if we could do like a listener showcase would be fun. Yeah. Three minutes. It's three minutes or less. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, festivals are a lot of work, everyone. So shout out to all of the people that make them great. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, actually, is that I was at a wedding this weekend with some old film school pals, like a, a friend of mine, uh, got married, and... It was a really beautiful, very nerdy experience. He's into metal and board games and action movies and his wife kind of, those are his four passions basically. Um, And it reminded me um, because the best man speech was also his writing partner and a dear friend. um, It reminded me of how a thing we don't talk about that film school offers that I think is really hard to get outside of normal life is, um, being around people who are intensely passionate about film, but don't have the same taste as you. Like I walked into film school and had my mind made up about what was good and what wasn't good and what I think is interesting or valuable or important about film and thought arrogantly that that was kind of the only smart way to think about film, you know, like that my taste was good and that people who didn't agree with that more or less were wrong. Right. And these guys are like, die hard like jackie chan fans die hard godzilla fans like their bachelor party we spent watching like hyper violent b movies all weekend long and it was the best and it reminded me of how smart and passionate and articulate those dudes were about movies that i had completely written off and changed the way i think about action movies by far for sure and that's like a the reason to go to college is to have your mind blown but it's hard to find people who don't it's easy to make friends with people who have the same taste as you you right. know like that's part of the way that you make friends but being forced to be in an environment where someone challenges you in ways that aren't the same as academic taste or like like professors would tell me what what is good and i would believe them but kevin is showing me uh, you know a vintage kung fu movie that's blowing my mind and explains to me why he loves it and that's a special thing yeah Oh, that is awesome. Okay, I'll oh, go to film
0: school. And they all got married, so look at that. Yeah, so just go just to film school, get married. Yeah. I asked you this question earlier, which was, what percentage of the people that you went to film school, I mean, this is obviously... Sure, um, who are still in it. Yeah. yeah, like what's your guesstimate based mm-hmm. on going to this wedding? I'd
1: say 15, 20%. Are still in film? hmm yeah. 15 to 20? So remember... We and I'm thinking of my entire student body here. Yeah, that's probably probably about right. And what percentage do you think
0: were in film one year after you graduated? Like probably
1: maybe yeah. I went to undergrad film school, so like these are 18 year old kids who are making a major life decision. Right, but they're 22 or so when they finish. Sure, sure, sure. But then they went to grad school or something. Do you know what I mean? Like I think they got internships and like being a film major is fun and is as useful as like a philosophy degree or an English degree or something like that. You know, like if you know you're not going to be an engineer, like then the world is pretty open, you know, like, right. But think I mean, about I how guess, many, how many poli sci majors are politicians now? Yeah, I guess that's it. Cause
0: I think of how many engineering majors are engineers or how many law. Sure. Well, I guess it's how many pre law people are lawyers and pre med people are doctors. Right. And that's right. probably not, that high
1: yeah yeah so i i think also you know i bet there's a degree of shame maybe is the word <laughs> i'm looking for of like okay you, you work your butt off you get into a, a top film school you convince your parents to let you go which is a gamble and like makes them scared and nervous for your future and they're like they're this bright kid who's like you know the apple of their eye and you know then they're like oh making movies really <laughs> isn't what i thought it would be so to change majors i had my freshman year girlfriend changed majors midway through when she was in production which was like the most exclusive part um and i think it's happy now yeah right yeah i mean happiness is i don't care about that part of the equation
0: <laughs> that's why you're in film hey yo. <laughs> uh well so one of the when i first moved to la one of the things i did my first couple years here is i had a friend that went to afi which is a good
1: Sure. school yeah, yeah.
0: master's program so it's grad school everyone in there has has industry experience before they go mm-hmm. in there and i was talking to someone the other day about it so at afi you can be a director producer cinematographer mm-hmm. production designer screenwriter right yeah that's i think right. those are an editor i think those are like the six and i'm sure i'm messing this up i didn't go to afi myself sure uh, but I worked on a lot of films there, and I knew pretty much everyone in the class mm-hmm. that year because I worked on all these different student films. And of the DPs, almost everyone I know is a DP. I mean, one of them was Rachel Morrison that oh, shot really? Black Panther, yeah, and John Gulistanian who shoots all these things. And Brian, I mean, they're either at least camera operators or something on big shows, or some of them, you know, are became, became big gaffers for mm-hmm. each other and right. work with each other, and then DP smaller things. I mean, they're all pretty successful on average i'd say like in my like i see their names on like tv shows or Mm -hmm. at the oscars and stuff now uh the production designers there weren't that many of them but they're all super successful Mm. the editors i didn't know them that well because they weren't on set but i also remember them doing well uh the producers are a little more iffy Mm -hmm. the writers also but the directors like there's one from the two year span of people I interacted with that
1: m- someone might have heard of, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, th- I think that speaks to the nature of like camera department, right? Like you're fresh out of school. What do you do if you want to be a DP? You know, you start seconding or, you know, crewing in some way, and then you can work your way up and that's totally acceptable. But you're that's also I- in a position
0: where people hire you and you don't have to make your own work. Mm-hmm. That's true.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And the Unlike. directors and the producers and even the writers are right out of film school are not in a position really to be hired. So there, are, there are a few other directors I know from that year that do that are working directors like you and yeah. me. But there's only really only one that is doing anything, you know, like that has like films at Sundance and stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the thing that film school doesn't prepare you for is really understanding that you don't get a job the way our parents have jobs. My mom, yeah, you know, I think I probably said this on the show before, but my mom was a teacher and like worked at two or three schools my whole life, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a whole different generation. Freelance so, like, and gig economy. So the idea of like gigging around is terrifying to them,
0: right? Yeah. yeah. I guess to me it's like the interesting thing is about film school specifically. Is even if you go to the best film school in the world, Mm -hmm. you still look at the graduating classes. And a few years later, like so few of them in the directing programs, at least, are are directing things. So, I don't know. um, Some some,
1: uh, positive thoughts. (laughs) Well, I think that it's kind of like being a lawyer a little bit. Like, you're like, I'm smart and creative. Maybe I'll make movies. I love movies. And then you learn what the job is. And maybe you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, except, I mean, there's
0: a bazillion lawyers and they all make a ton of money. And you, I, I know out. a lot of lawyers. Most of them don't like being lawyers, right? But they still can get work sure, being a lawyer.
1: That's true. Yeah. 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 Well, anyway, cool wedding. Yeah. It was, it was a really introspective wedding. Uh, Oren. Yeah. I've been dying to know what have you been working on lately.
0: Well, so first of all, I want to preface this with the fact that one of our listeners, told matt that i hog this section of our podcast <laughs> shut up bill <laughs> which i never thought i did but i so i'll try to go real quick
1: no no you're fine you're fine uh, i'm uh, I've, had, and just.
0: <laughs> I've had a good month i think what's interesting is i pitched on like seven big what i consider it like big for me commercials mm-hmm. in a row and i did not get the first five of those seven and i like killed myself like and it was a different reason for each one. One, you know, it's like superstar directing. Mm-hmm. Like like one of them I was pitching against an Oscar-nominated director. Yeah. And he didn't get it either. So the third person got it. You know, uh, another one, I got the job and then they killed the job. And I just, it's kind of hard, you know, because yeah. you're really... It's demoralizing. Yeah, yeah. Getting passionate. You don't get paid one cent to do all this stuff. And you're actually spending money. You know, whether maybe I'm hiring a babysitter so I can go work on this or maybe the production company I'm with is hiring someone to help me pull images or whatever. It's just like a lot of work. And it was, it was kind of a rough couple of months. I got that Disney job, but that Disney job I got without writing a treatment, which is so crazy. Yeah, You know, those are the killer jobs that you can get without writing a treatment,
1: but they're so few and far between. And also are a lower rate. I think, would you agree? Like on average, they're like a little less. The Disney job was pretty
0: lucrative though, right? Yeah, it was good. I mean, yeah. no, not really. It just depends who's hiring you and how they found you but you know i got one job i had my flight to new york booked and then they decided to change directors because one of the celebrities in the commercial Mm -hmm. wanted his friend to direct it so it just kept like happening and i wouldn't be like hey you know we want you to direct these five different things this month you know from different people and i'd be like i'm sorry i'm like on hold for all these other jobs and then they would all go away anyway so that's why i was like pretty stoked when at the end of at the beginning of this month I booked I pitched on two things in a row and I did not think I was going to get either one and I got both of them and one of them I just shot last Friday and the next one shoots in Atlanta next week and uh yeah it's exciting um to book things so <laughs> Yeah and they both uh well I've seen one of them and
1: it's great Yeah which so is
0: nice. the one I shot last week was Fun. We shot in a front yard in South Pasadena and we had mm-hmm. like police officers close down the street and all that stuff Which even though we're not in the street We need them because we're filming in front of the house and we had right. kids running around and uh
1: There's a lot of extras in that spot, too. I didn't think about it.
0: There's like a lot of bodies Well, you know, what's crazy like the original concept was these two women talking to each other in the front yard mm-hmm. And then they did some focus group research I if you can't tell from my voice, I'm like not a fan of focus group research because I don't think focus groups are being creative or artistic in any way. They're mm-hmm. just reacting, like, oh, I don't like that rug. So all of a sudden, we can't use a certain type of rug in the commercial because one person said that they didn't like it. You know. and it, Anyway, so their research said that they uh, wanted to see families using this product instead mm-hmm. of like one woman. So. All of a sudden they're like, let's throw, she has a young kid and he's having a birthday party. And so now all of a sudden we have a birthday party and literally the script dialogue has not changed one word. Yeah. It just takes place at a birthday party now instead of a front yard. So we had to add, yeah, like I think it looked six kids and better though, man adults. Yeah. I think that's a happy accident. Thanks to that focus group. It's cool. I mean, look, I love extras. I love adding people and I love sending something in a set but I also like simplicity Mm -hmm. you know and I like to get multiple takes and this was a non-union non-sag commercial so you know you're getting newer actors that can use more takes to nail things you know so there's a trade-off I mean I'm I'm happy with it I think it visually adds a lot to the commercial but uh I don't think it's like necessary Mm -hmm. for the story that we're telling you know um and and I don't know if watching it, like, I just showed it to you with no sound, so I don't know if you can even tell, but I don't know if watching it, you even realize it's like a birthday party because there's no dialogue about it or anything. Yeah. Or if it's just a bunch of people playing or if it's an open house or if it's like a yard sale. Like I think it's like a
1: special occasion filled with kids. <laughs> I think if it were right. like, yeah, like, did I clock that it said happy birthday on a banner somewhere? Maybe, maybe not. But like, that's not important. Like the... The vibe of like family gathering, kid-friendly gathering. Totally reads. Yeah. Did you get a bounce house? We talked about it, but they make a lot of noise. (laughs) Oh, you didn't want one? Well,
0: I didn't. We had a really small yard. Get it for the wide. I actually, my idea for the bounce house was like, let's get a bounce house and put adults in it. And then mm-hmm. it'll look like you have six more kids, you know, because mm-hmm. kids are just like, you have to teach yeah, them school, yeah, just all like this stuff. You have yeah. to limited hours to work with them.
1: Make an adult wear shorts, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: no, but you don't see them because they're in the ba- bounce house. Sure, sure. But you'd see some You'd see the house stuff. bouncing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. And then my, I've never been in Atlanta in my life. Can you believe oh, that? Oh, wait,
1: you shot in Atlanta. No. So that was oh, that's here the, in Pasadena. Ne- the next one.
0: And then the next one. Yeah. I'm going to Atlanta and that one's really interesting because it's, there's a lot of stock footage and photos mm-hmm. in it, but it's not like a docu style or anything. Uh, and right. so, yeah, I don't know. Have you done work where there's a lot where you use a lot of stock footage, or yeah, 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 yeah? I I have pulled like a decent amount of stock footage, and actually, a gray one has a lot of stock footage. Well, um, do you think so? Obviously, that's your short. But when you're hired to do someone else's concept, do you think that it's the director's job to choose the stock footage? Yes, yes,
1: definitely. Um, or rather I would insist on doing it so that they don't mess it up because the bummer about stock footage, especially if you're looking at like drone footage or anything like that, any action footage, oftentimes it's shot at 30 or 60 FPS. Mm -hmm. And so like being choosy about it in a way that only a director would be. And maybe sometimes a creative director is in tune with that stuff. And maybe an editor is looking out, but like if you want to make sure that, your thing your spot feels cohesive yeah definitely i would pick it up myself i'd ask like what libraries they have access to because like getty can be really great but like there's certain rules about what's editorial versus not model releases yeah yeah, all all that stuff wait and do you feel the same way about music uh i'm less choosy about music yeah so I have you've,
0: done, you've worked on things where, like, the editor or somebody else is choosing
1: the music. I don't mind. Well, I'll always note about it, like, if I have a problem with it. But, like, if I don't have a specific thought, I, like, I give an editor the benefit of the doubt that they can, like, find something new and fun and make it work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if I have, like, specific notes, like, I never want electronic instruments. So, like, that means that you tend to go, like, I tend to, like, to use a lot of funk like bass lines and horn sections and that sort of stuff. Like sometimes I'll even go with a little ska if I can pull it off, you know? Yeah, Uh, um, Brian Setzer Orchestra. (laughs) Real big fish. Um, Okay. (laughs) California, California. But yeah, like I like to go stuff that's a little more throwback-y basically. Like if you get into... um, synthesizers and stuff it kind of bumps me out
0: well one last thing i'll say about this because i do think it's kind of interesting for our listeners i mean you know that most of these services both the stock footage and the music library services have people there that will help you find music like let's say i'm i want to do a scene i want like a song that sounds like a red hot chili pepper song can you send me one or i'm looking for stock
1: footage that is like a family eating something gross yeah i think um Producer Madeline actually really had some good luck with um, sound libraries and working with someone to help send them tracks recently. Have you ever done that? No, um, though the reason I like Killer Tracks as my favorite sound libraries because I think that their playlists are really well curated, and so in a lot of ways that feels like a sim, like a human being has like picked um a lot of tracks based off of genre or tone or style or whatever it is and so that is always a great place to start
0: cool yeah well it's free
1: if anyone is
0: uh yeah is looking for music and can't seem to find it or looking for stock footage and can't seem to find it go to one of their those sites and you can for free get help finding what you want which brings us to our sponsor no i'm teasing teasing. (laughs) open sponsor spot (laughs) nope
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay no sponsor spot Uh, let's get into some listener questions yeah all right our first question is from paul kim he writes hey guys uh he listens to the show at a super boring desk job and we give him life wow that's very nice of you to say paul he knows that we've talked about moving to la but he's still unsure about making the leap uh he's a filmmaker of about three years now but before that he made youtube sketches as a kid if that counts where does he live in atlanta because of financial reasons and self doubt." I didn't do as much as I could have in the film industry and haven't had the most to show for it, even though I live in Atlanta. Instead, I took menial day jobs, made my own projects, freelance a bit, and helped out on other people's projects. So his question is, should he, a guy like him make the leap to L.A.? Obviously, I haven't gotten a decent grasp on the smaller market, but I have some musician friends that are moving to L.A. next May, and I will have saved about 10k by then. I also hope to have my next short film in the festival circuit. Um, and that's his question basically. Hmm. So I think just to break it down. So Paul has kind of two different questions I think are interesting. Um, he hasn't totally mastered the market of Atlanta, right? He's, he doesn't have a, he hasn't managed to like gig around there. So he doesn't have a ton of onset experience yet, but he also has this kind of YouTube background. And so I think those are two kind of interesting things. Let's start with the, the crew and around question. How important do you think is it to have onset experience before moving to Los Angeles? I don't think it's that important. But if I was
0: in Atlanta, I'd probably stay in Atlanta, I guess is my short answer to Paul. For a while, I would quit my job. Look, $10,000. With, with
1: the caveat that we have not lived in Atlanta, so we don't really know what the, the right, right, right. vibe is like. Right, you know? we
0: don't know, but we know so many people that go there to work.
1: Yes, however, they all work on the big fancy stuff.
0: Right. But we know that there's, at least at the
1: crew level, a lot of support there. That's true. That's true. But I guess, have you ever PA'd on a Hollywood movie? Like uh, a big time movie? Like a Marvel sized movie? I've been on a Marvel sized set and I've PA'd Sure, sure. But on did you PA on TV it is what I'm stuff. saying? Uh, no, I don't think yeah. so. Because I wonder if maybe there's a higher barrier to entry to get those entry level gigs at. No, but there's that's like nice. lifetime no. shoots
0: TV shows there. Yeah, I like, guess that's true. it's not all Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's a lot of production out there that's true. But I, to me, Paul's real question is, should you quit your day job to go be a filmmaker? you know, whether it's mm-hmm. in Atlanta or in LA, to me, the smaller leap seems to to be like, hey, I saved up 10k. maybe his family's there. Maybe he can stay in a place without paying rent. And mm-hmm. 10k will go probably a lot farther without having to pay for rent and all these other things mm-hmm. in Atlanta and wet but your all, feet. there. All his pals are moving out in May. Some musicians, right? Yeah, but
1: still a support group, you know, friends. Yeah. See, to me, this we, is crazy. I feel like we are totally uh, different. Well, not. I feel like you're normally like, yes, move to LA. What are you thinking? Just go for it.
0: Look, usually it's really hard to find if you're in a place that's not like a traditional film town, it's Mm -hmm. hard to find other people that are serious about film. Right. right? You're saying in Atlanta, there are those people in Atlanta. From what I hear, there's a lot of opportunities to, especially to PA, to crew, to Mm -hmm. script supervise. I'm sure all these crew people that are working on Marvel movies, the like camera loader is like a DP during their day job where it's shooting commercials or corporate stuff, you know, like, There must be smaller gigs in Atlanta because there are all these film professionals there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, I'm sure there's actors there that are have like three weeks off, you know, and and they're living there for eight months. So if the question is, like, should I take the leap? But he still hasn't taken the leap of, like, quitting his day job that he it sounds like he does not like. Mm -hmm. Like, why not take the smaller leap first? You have your you're from Atlanta. You have some support system there. Take a year in Atlanta and then say try to save more money because ten grand. How long do you, can you last on ten grand in LA? Three months. Yeah,
1: probably about three months. And that's like yeah. if you're not that's like, like spending a ton of like money. like living on your friend's couch or like yeah renting you know, a room in like a six-bedroom house. Room in a, yeah, yeah. Uh, which would be a good time. That's like
0: you know for sure, and you like. meet people and you go do whatever. Yeah. film groups or UCB or go to any coffee shop and meet other writers yeah. there and meetups and screenings but yeah so i guess my advice from knowing very little about atlanta is <laughs> quit your job first spend a year in atlanta and then come to la yeah if, if you're into it and maybe if you're like oh, i'd rather have my steady income then maybe
1: yeah or, or maybe the half measure of like just like shoot stuff every weekend
0: yeah, and by the way, if you have friends coming out to LA, it's great because then you can be like, Hey, it's Christmas break, I'm gonna go to LA for two weeks and yeah. stay with my friends and make a music video with them and then go yeah, back yeah. to Atlanta. Like the to me the leap is about deciding for yourself that you wanna be serious about this and this is like the profession you've chosen. Yeah. Uh, moving to LA tends to help with that. But if you're already in Atlanta, then
1: you can take that half measure first before you do I the wonder, full leap. I wonder if Paul maybe needs to give himself a little bit more distance from his hometown you know what i mean i think that look obviously paul just wrote us an email so i'm <laughs> just right. saying that like hypothetically like as a kid if i'd stayed in sacramento i don't think i would have gotten serious the way that i am serious now right you know and, and I, I think that some it? of that is like just kind of getting out of the nest you right. know what i mean that sacramento be, is not a great it is not film a film town movie. no that's true um my point is is like sometimes people need to move away from home in order to get a fresh start so you know i would keep that in mind basically but the other question that isn't really in paul's email but kind of sparked the thought for me how valuable do you think youtube videos that you make with your friends are to your career Uh, i think they're valuable Look, if you got a billion
0: views, that's probably valuable in some way. Right. If you have a hundred million subscribers, it's valuable. If you are like in this like under 10,000, you know, on either one of those numbers, I don't think it will help you like on the resume, but obviously making stuff is yeah, making great. Making stuff is great. Exercise, finding people that are excited to make stuff with and keeping them around is great. And also learning about yourself and what you like and what you don't like and how things work. So obviously whether you're putting it on YouTube or sending them to film festivals. What I like about YouTube is you get instant feedback and it's like low stakes.
1: Well, I guess what I'm asking really more is like, because I think obviously the, the practice of it is all really valuable, but I'm wondering if maybe we will see young people send us less than totally professional videos sometimes. And I guess there's that hard thing of knowing when your reel is ready to show industry professionals right you know what i'm getting at like like youtube is always going to be awesome for like cutting your teeth getting into a groove all of that stuff but i guess um it's hard to know when your student project is is professional enough i'm saying in big big air quotes to be taken seriously do you remember like because you started doing you know internet videos and stuff do you remember the first time you were like ah this is actually good uh about my internet Mm -hmm. videos yeah well
0: i mean i guess i always thought they were pretty cool (laughs) i I thought they were cooler when i was younger as i got older i started thinking they were worse and worse but i also made short films went to film festivals like at the same time i was like you know before youtube existed
1: so yeah 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 so you were pretty serious by the time you were shooting stuff
0: well it's not that i was serious i was i really used it as like a tool for experimentation or i'd have an idea and be like hey i'd call my roommate over and be like let's shoot this thing right so yeah and i was really into
1: you know lighting and and comedy and so well okay let me ask this actually relative to your crew experience when did you first kind of pick up a camera and start shooting your own stuff like how long had you you been crewing before you started doing that or after
0: no I, i was doing making my own videos way before i moved back to la Right, I guess that's true so I was doing all my own stuff and that the first time I saw an Airy light kit was I'd put an ad on Craigslist and I was looking for a gaffer I didn't even know what a gaffer really was but I knew my DP asked for one uh, yeah. and this guy showed up with this R- re5 light kit and I was like holy cow look at this thing sure. you can own this like I, in my mind it was like only something like yeah. a big company would get yeah so uh, this is obviously a guy that did not go to film school um but uh, that kind of like blew my mind and I vowed i'm yeah. just gonna save enough money to buy these lights do you still have them
1: yeah can i browse them yeah
0: it's a soft MCC. bank four kit oh nice pretty useless nowadays yeah. <laughs> i don't know if that's true uh yeah the 1k is pretty nice the 650 is okay the chimera oh well
1: yeah a little 650
0: yeah. the 150s the peppers or whatever they call them uh oh i still like a pepper do you really not like them
1: i mean nobody ever kick. uses them a little hair light a little splash here there yeah, really?
0: I mean, the Kinos and the LEDs, it's yeah. like they're so, you know... la. Oh, wow, yeah. Uh,
1: they're kind of not that helpful. Paul, hopefully we were uh, some value to you, but just jump in, man. Just make it happen and uh, keep us posted. Yeah,
0: please let us know how it goes. Our next question comes from Brenton Geyser. He is a listener and he is based in San Francisco. And he says, I got my start in filmmaking about 14 months ago, directing a short doc. Since then, I've been fortunate enough to direct a few regional TV commercials, some really great branded doc pieces, and I'm now working on my first feature-length doc. Although I'm incredibly lucky to jump straight into directing, never having time as a PA in the camera, camera department or even producing, I feel like I'm missing a lot of the industry knowledge and understanding of the nuance of production, having very little time on set. Being 33 with a family living in the Bay Area, going backwards, so to speak, is not in the cards for me. I would love to hear any advice you have for someone who has jumped into the world of directing, and skipped all the other steps So i think this is like an awesome question yeah yeah and and the first
1: time for us i don't think we've tackled this one before
0: no but i bet it's like not that uncommon that someone Mm -hmm. is like kind of good
1: with a camera without a doubt
0: yeah they get a directing job somehow on accident
1: has good taste knows the right people locked into it and nailed that first thing and then just was on a streak from there on yeah yeah repeat business yeah but yeah, but has never been on a set and doesn't know like what a call sheet is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Orin, you go, you go first actually, because I think that we, I want to see how much we disagree on this one. Actually, I think
0: I have these two friends. They've been on the mm-hmm. podcast uh, that directed like a Lionsgate film right. on accident, and then and it was like their third or fourth film, and then they got a Sony film that was like millions of a million multi million dollar budget. And they literally emailed me and they're like, Hey, Oren, uh, how do you, how does a shot list look (laughs) because they're asking us for one and these guys had already done all these big movies. And the only reason I knew is because I like am a voracious reader or was at the time and read about like how to, you know, all the things of a a director. I I might've maybe also worked on some other people's things. You're also good at like asking people questions. Like you'd be like, Hey, let me see your shot list. Yeah. Uh, I do that. I mean, I'll be on set and I'll be like, what kind of line is that? I will only be on that set. Cause I'm walking to the sandwich shop and they happen to be shooting on the street.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not the director. You're just like, a I'm guy. not even an employee. Yeah, yeah. You're just <laughs> yeah. Like,
0: I guess, um, my answer to Brenton, which I had already emailed him actually, is that if I were him, I would try to find a job on a set. That maybe is not the PA. Maybe you're not doing Firewatch, but you are the still photographer. To me, like the behind-the-scenes stills job is is an awesome job. And by the way, Brenton has a, a large background in photography. Oh, yeah, good catch. So uh, I checked out his website. So I think that's like a cool place where you, you don't really have a boss and you're not really responsible for anything except for getting some great photos. And you mm-hmm. can ask the, produ- the producer, like, hey, what do you expect from me? Do you want me to take the same photos as the main camera is getting? Do you want me... Some more behind the scenes, docu style, do you want the actors looking in the camera, not looking? You know, get have them kind of direct you, and then you get to kind of be on your own. So I think that's like a good job. There, there are a few other jobs on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be an editor on other people's projects and ask to come to set. You know, he's obviously has experience making things. He knows the technical mm-hmm. things of how to make them, but he might not know the experience or, or know the terminology or techniques right. that are kind of the standards.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that, um, I think that is all right in a really interesting, smart way to go. I'm going to go. Wait, can I, can I add yeah, one Oh more? yeah, finish your thought. Uh, yeah.
0: And then I think he can also keep making his own things of course, but, uh, also, uh, add to that with just studying masterclass, mm-hmm. directing, you know, reading books, like watching behind the scenes videos, uh, all that stuff that, uh, you know, is f- what you would get in film school.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, and for less than $100,000. Yeah, I think all of that is really smart, especially the self-education part. I think the self-education part is maybe the thing that we agree on the most. So I'm going to play devil's advocate. I'm going to go on the other end of the seesaw here. I think there's probably... There's a happy medium for everybody, but I think it's highlighting the differences in the ways that you and I came up. I didn't really crew very much. Like the way that I got to direct is by writing and producing myself um
0: and so yeah but you know what a c47 is i mean you know like where a boom operator should be standing or uh what a whip pan is or yes um, i, I how have to use voiceover to reform a whole scene
1: sure i would say that writing helps you with a voiceover like structural things for sure um and I don't think it's important for a director to know what a C-47 is. Well. Do you know what I mean? In a certain sense. I think that there's the approach of like, you can be the sort of director who walks in and tells a TP like how to light this scene and where to put the camera and just like has a complete mastery of that department. And if he wasn't directing or she wasn't directing, they'd throw a camera on their shoulder and do shoot it themselves. I think there's that sort of director out there. And then I think there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of other ones as well, but like, well, do you think it's important to know lenses? I didn't on Squaresville. Well. I, I learned on the job. I think that being articulate with the things you are trying to evoke and the ways that you are trying to like the feelings you're trying to get and like being as specific as you can, but there are plenty of directors. There are probably plenty of directors on our show who don't call lenses for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and that's okay. I think that there's just different styles, you know what I mean? So I think that you came up crewing on all these different projects and so like and you're inquisitive. So you're like, "Hey, what what lens is that?" you know. Um right. and I think that there's another person shadowing on that same set that's like talking to the writer about where they came up with that idea or whatever. You know, and so I don't think I don't know that it's that understanding every aspect of production is essential to each artist. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but I, I,
1: I but I guess
0: the re I feel like the reason Brenton is asking that question is because he he wants to see how other people do the things that he's doing. Sure that
1: that that may be. I think that maybe may, maybe what he's asking is. Hey, I feel a little self-conscious about not knowing what a C47 is. Should I be? And I guess I think that everyone has to learn what sort of artists they are and that I don't want you to ever, anyone to ever be dismissive of another department or take it for granted or things like that. But if you realize that it's not your knack to know the ins and outs of how to light a scene or whatever. Um, you can lean into other strengths and be less production oriented. And I think that's okay as well. And I don't think you have to have crude in order to have good taste and a point of view, which are the most important parts of directing, I would say.
0: Right. But I, let me give you a real world example. Sure. It, because I agree with you in theory, of course. Sure. Sure. And you, you see know, like, like I Steve said, McQueen or someone coming is, from the theater that is like yeah, a, totally. one of the best directors working yeah. out there. Right. Uh, but I bet you he knows the difference between a 25 and 100, you know, millimeter lens. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and also everyone, you should learn your lenses. Um,
0: but I guess let's say you're on set, you're directing. But you can something. learn that on
1: the job, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Let's say you're directing like a $300,000 commercial campaign that shoots for three days. Pretty mm-hmm. good budget and yeah. fun product. And you got like a celebrity or something and you're looking at the shot and on the monitor or through the lens or in by your mm-hmm. eye and you're like oh he seems like he sh- he's a little short relative to this lady like we should make him a little taller and then like uh, the key grip says uh you know you want a, a half or a quarter apple mm-hmm. uh so the director that's been on a lot of sets and his experience would mm-hmm. say like let's start with the quarter or whatever right and the director that you're describing is like I don't know. I need it, you know, and it will show with their fingers how much taller, you know, they think it mm-hmm. is. Or we'll say, uh, I, I don't know. What's the difference? What are you talking about? You know? Um, it, so. Right. So y- in the, you're going to get the exact same solution yep. with both versions of directors. But one of them, the key grip is going to be like, oh, this, this person's green. You know, this director hasn't yeah, done it. Yeah, they've rolled while. their eyes. Yeah. Um, and, and the other one's like, great. We're talking the same language. Like you, I've been gripping for 17 years and you're like my boss. And, and you, know you know the difference between. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for sure.
1: Yeah. The eye roll. I've had plenty of crew members roll their eyes at me. And it yes. hurts. It well, you are sucks. A very pale man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. You have not had plenty of groomers roll their eyes at you. Don't make me realize that. At least that not recently. Out. Uh, not recently. No, but like, you know, when I was newer and stuff, um, definitely. Or, you know, there's a polite version of that as well of like asking a clarifying question because they have to second guess you a tiny bit. Um, Right. And then there's even like issues of safety, like where you're like, yeah,
0: I just thought like you'd stand in the, you know, this through the sunroof of the car as we're driving and film somewhere sure. and someone will be like, uh, that's illegal. And I'm not yeah, doing that yeah, for definitely. you. And you're like, well, I did that
1: on my last thing, you know? So yeah. Experience is always going to help for sure. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that don't let the person rolling their eyes at you for you not being able to articulate all of the lingo The film sets are filled with fucking lingo and it can be so intimidating. And so not knowing the difference between a pancake and a quarter, a quarter and a half, um, you know, is not that big a deal. Your taste is the deal. And like some people are going to be on power trips and like be insulted that you don't know the exact sizing of, you know, whatever box it is we're talking about or whatever. Don't let that bother you, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Right. I will say there are two departments that I'm quite bad at. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they are wardrobe and makeup. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd say makeup worse than wardrobe. Makeup, I have two modes. I'm not noticing it or I'm bugged by it. (laughs) Right? Those are my only two versions. (laughs) When I'm not noticing it, it's great. When I'm bugged by it, it's not... I mean, like there's hair flying away or it seems like there's too much makeup or some color discoloration. I'll notice that. Sure, sure. But But I'm not going to tell someone like what kind of mascara or color shade of lipstick or something, you know, right. I can just tell them if I like it or I don't like it.
1: Right. And I would say that you could say that about lenses as well, or you could find a way to collaborate with them a little bit more. Right. You with know?
0: wardrobe, I always say like, look, this woman is in her mid thirties. She's a young mom. She lives in Cleveland and she's this, you know, and I say to my costume designer, like, I'm going to lean on you to like help me figure out how this person mm-hmm. would dress. These are some colors I like and don't like. These are some fabrics that I can don't like. I like layers and, you know, kind of real generic mm-hmm. <laughs> useless things that I say. Well, but I, I also like layers are very open to, or very honest about my, you know, I don't know the difference between a Henley and a, uh, the crew neck. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I I, I know how a crew neck. Is. Sure, sure, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, anything, especially when it comes to women's clothing, I'm sure. just like pretty dumb.
1: Well, I think that maybe you're you're landing on the maybe the best actionable actionable piece of advice. There's two. One, I'm hearing collaborate, like be a good collaborator, trust the expertise of your crew members when you're lucky enough to have them.
0: But also, to me, study every if you want your you know, key grip to respect you, then respect them, like figure out what they're doing and what their job is and why they're there.
1: You know? Sure. That's true. Um, and, but all, I would say on top of that also part of that respect is in just not being a bullshitter, right? Like it's okay. If you, if you know that you don't know the difference between a Cardellini and an alligator clamp, don't tell them to grab a Cardellini cause you heard right. it once or whatever. Do you <laughs> right, know what I right. mean? Like, yeah. Um, like that's really when they roll their eyes that then they're not being a jerk. If you're being right. bossy and you're just bluffing your way through something, just be like, Hey, listen, you know, like I'm not, I didn't really come up through that way. And like, you know, help me out a little bit. What do you think? You know, sure. um, and I, this I guess, is what I'm going for. Right. And the, your department heads are there to help you do that stuff.
0: Right. And I do think if you're like a Brenton and you have like a background in photography, but you just kind of happened upon a few directing jobs, it's totally cool. When someone says like, should we raise, you know, him and like on half an apple or quarter apple for you to say like, uh, honestly, like I, I came from a photography background. I'm not familiar with those terms. I still think there's, when you're the director, you need to validate why you're the director
1: in a way, whether you're experienced or not experienced. That's by having taste. That's like, by like making a good thing. Like you don't have to prove anything to anybody. I mean, the, the, my favorite joke, how many directors, do, how many first time directors does it take to screw in a light bulb? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Is that it? yeah, yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah. So just be decisive, be thoughtful, listen to people uh, and collaborate. And be honest about what you don't know. Yeah. yeah. But I,
0: also go and try to educate yourself.
1: Here, here is the truth. There is no way I am ever going to know as much about gripping and gaffing as my key gripper gaffer. I'm never going to do it and there's they're always going to know more than I am on that stuff for sure always and like I'm okay with that I know more about directing
0: yeah so hopefully that was helpful Brenton (laughs) (laughs) uh we have one more question oh boy all right we've got Austin Howard and by the way I want to note that Austin has the shortest question we've ever gotten
1: and I love it (laughs) thanks Austin uh, love the pod. Just listened to the guide to moving to LA app, and I'm moving soon. But I'm a stand-up comic, and I'm broke. And I was wondering if you have any recommendations or neighborhoods that might be optimal. Um, Oren, where do you think Austin should move? If you're broke and you're moving to LA, uh,
0: it's a good question. Highland Park. No, you have to be rich to live in Highland Park, dude. Dude, that is not true not rich but it, Highland Park is not I didn't say
1: buy a house in Highland Park. Okay, go over to Highland Park. I
0: mean Boyle Heights might be yeah, a little less expensive. I don't yeah. know how Chinatown is, might
1: be okay. Highland Park is about to get priced out, but there are still a lot of small families and like college kids and stuff living there for sure. Yeah. I yeah. mean it depends on if you're sharing a, a room or not too, you know. Right.
0: I guess Highland Park is good. I honestly think
1: it's it's hard to, it's not super affordable. Um, but I, I will say my noise musician friend lives in Highland park and I sold a, a table to somebody who lives in Highland park and they were not rolling it out for sure. <laughs> right. Rent control. They've
0: probably been there for a while.
1: They just moved. They needed oh, a table.
0: Okay. Well, check out Highland park for sure. It is an awesome neighborhood. Yeah. It's getting more expensive by the day. That is true though. Yeah. I think there's pockets of Glendale that might be affordable. Glendale, uh, there's also the
1: question of, like, what vibe you're looking for. Uh, Glendale, I think, is a little more family-friendly. It's, like, a very cute, charming community. There's a lot of families that live there. Like, the schools are good. It's, like, a lot of single-family homes, you know? Right. Um, there's kind of this, like, I mean, it's barely sketchy, but it's sketchy
0: enough that maybe the rent's a little cheaper. We used to call it Iwiho. It's, like, East-West Hollywood, which is, like, basically where West Hollywood is hits Hollywood, like around La
1: Brea, you mm. know, and Sunset. I don't know that that's affordable anymore. Yeah. I, I'd place bets on Highland Park over anywhere. Because, hmm. yeah, and if you're a comedian, mid-state. I mean, it's a good
0: place. And, t- you know, Santa Monica, Westside is not horrible for comedy either. But obviously Santa Monica is very expensive, but there might be pockets of like Palms or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think Palms is all UCLA students. Yeah.
1: I Austin. Uh, I recommend playing the lottery. Um, Austin, I think North Hollywood actually is the other, um, solid bet. It's not too far from everything. You can still get like a regular old department there. There's a comedy club that I call the ha ha hole. Not huge into it. I yeah. don't need North to show North Hollywood's actually good. I mean, North Hollywood's also a lot of bars, you know, expensive, but yes. I guarantee there's a lot of open mics out there. Yeah. So maybe North Hollywood is my bet vote. Yeah. Um, but you know what, Austin, here's the truth, man. You're going to move out. It's gonna You're going to hang out with a roommate or two for six months a year. And then you're going to actually figure out where your new friends live and what your favorite club is and what sort of personality you have relative to Los Angeles neighborhoods. Yeah. So just kind of find someplace cheap, you know, and know that you're probably going to move soon. That's the
0: real advice. And I'm sure Austin knows this already, but we have... Do you think we have the best stand-up scene in the country? Or do you think New York Well, beats us? it depends on what
1: your... End goal is or type of genre of end, comedy. and End goal and also like living standard. Because Chicago <laughs> is incredible, but you can make a living as a stand-up comic just kind of gigging around. Oh, here like, you are here, developing material and you're, trying to sell shows. You're doing stand-up for free. Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, trying
1: to segue your stand-up into Holly, a Hollywood yeah. career. So I know a handful of like chicago stand-ups who moved out here and we're like what um but now they're all writing on tv shows so it's fine right well cool
0: well we're excited that you're coming out austin austin get that spec ready bro yeah well awesome thanks for uh writing us questions we'd love to hear more you can email us any questions at just shoot it pod at gmail.com for shorter questions you can tweet at us we're at just shoot it pod.
1: for longer questions you can leave us a voicemail it's been a while two six two six shoot one Leave us voicemail. It's real cool. It's neat to hear people's voices. You can call a couple times if you mess up. It's not a big deal. Um, I love that voicemail. Well, now for our final segment. Unpaid endorsements. Okay, so um, my first one was inspired by my pals getting married and also a great AV Club article about um, how Mandy is like an insane, crazy horror movie and that horror movies and action movies have merged together. They recommended this movie. It's on Netflix the night comes for us it's uh an insane hyper-violent hyper-gory action movie by timo chiajha janto i don't know Oh yeah love timo um anyway it's the action is non-stop it's awesome it's kind of like i've been saying it's like john wick but with machetes mostly it's mm-hmm. like a lot of blunt objects a little bit of martial arts a ton of blood, it's super gruesome, but the thing that I love about it beyond it just being a nonstop thrill ride is um, that it does the brutal gore, but with just a couple little surprise pieces and creativity in each fight sequence that like take it over the top. So it's not just dudes like punching in cool ways, but they're always using the environment, which is always the thing that I love. So like there's one fight where they're in a meat locker and like they use, they use the bone saw, they use the meat hooks, you know, they use right, very a, a cow huff, but brutal, right. but still really fun, fun and cl- fun is maybe not the right word, but like clever, th- there's a cleverness to the filmmaking on top of pretty unrelenting action. Cool. So and what's it called again? The night comes for us and it's on Netflix so don't watch it with children um or people who are squeamish at all because they are bending elbows all different ways basically from go awesome but it's like john wick it's like the story's not really important a guy has to kill
0: a thousand dudes i'm gonna watch it and if you haven't seen the raid i know it's an old movie and the second one they're amazing and i think of in a similar genre similar genre yeah yeah um cool well what i'm gonna endorse I really hope you haven't heard of this Matt uh, Ooh. it's an iPhone trick that somebody like a kind of distant cousin of mine posted on Facebook. you know when you are like writing an email or writing a bunch of text on <laughs> your iPhone, you know sometimes you like misspelled something or it autocorrected something and you need
1: to move the cursor for some reason, yeah, yeah,
0: okay, so yeah, I guess it's the same trick. uh I did not realize you know we've all you always kind of like try to like float your thumb above the text and kind of move it and tap it and try to like, yeah. s- like use you're that magnifying like, my, glass. My fingers are too fat. This sucks. Yeah, and it always like is like one letter off where you're inserting your text. Well, if you hold your thumb on the space bar, I mean, you well, you you know this, so I'm showing it to you for no reason. It's still like a magic trick. You can uh, just press down on the space bar and move your thumb to wherever you want to put the cursor. It's like you... It, it's hard to describe but basically when you push your thumb down on the spacebar,
1: your thumb becomes the trackpad on the cursor
0: yes exactly and you can um very easily move the cursor to between any letters you want very quickly and i wonder if you can use it to select text because that's like another problem oh that's oh boy yeah nope (laughs) still still that's pretty close yeah um but yeah, uh, but it's it's cool. It's just type in like space iPhone spacebar selection trick.
1: Kelly <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll Ryan Live, it. maybe. I'm teasing, but sure. like I think that, that post I think the word got out this week, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's if it's you a game changer, man. Kelly and Ryan Live, then <laughs> luckily yeah. you listen to this podcast. Yeah, there you go. I wonder how big the uh the intersection of our two audiences is. Probably there's probably at least one person. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let us know, everyone.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any questions, comments, unpaid endorsements, email us. Uh, again, our email address is justshootedpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all social media. We're at justshootedpod on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Please follow us, subscribe us, send us a message uh, on Twitter. I'm at Pilag, And I'm at Mr. mrmadunlow. On Instagram, I'm... Oh, there you go. I actually don't know what I am. You're O okay. oh, Kaplan. Am I? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I've, I've noticed ever since our live show, people started following me on Instagram. Yeah, your Instagram's pretty good. How do I... Because I never use Twitter. So. I think it's O. Kaplan. Oh, yep, yeah. O. Kaplan. Hey. Yeah. One of the OG O. Kaplan I hope no one hacks my account. Oh, boy. It's a yeah. seven-letter
1: name. What OG. are you? Are you Mr. Maddenlow? I'm Mr. Maddenlow. So on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Maddenlow, and on Instagram, I'm at Mr. Maddenlow. Very convenient. Yep. That's uh, why
0: I did it that way. Cool. Well, this episode was produced by Madeline Rosewatt. It was edited by Jay McCulloch. And our webmaster, who we're going to meet finally for the first time ever because he lives in Australia and he's coming to LA, as Ewan Williams. Unless I book this job. Well, we, the royal yeah, Shout out to Ewan. Thanks uh, for your help, buddy. And the music you're listening to right now is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.
1: Thanks, everyone. Bye bye. listen to iTunes Review, please. iTunes Review. Bye.